morning crosswalk. We good? We awake? We here? So for our uh, kids today, just a reminder uh, that you do get a prize at the end of the service for counting how many times I say the word Adventist or Adventism, anything that comes from that. And I already know by saying that, all of you in this room are super excited to hear this message. No, uh, I'm excited. It is campus day here. If you haven't been with us before, that is when uh, a Sabbath falls in between two sermon series. We just finished our series called After, uh, looking at what happens to us now in the after of the resurrection. And we're getting ready to jump into a series called Elemental, which is really looking at deconstructing faith and what matters most. I'm really excited for it. Next week, we will be joined by... Pastor Sam Lenore, no big deal. He has long hair, yay, whatever, whatever. Um, anyway, uh, and, and I know some of you are turning in your resigla- resignation letters to work so that you can be here next week. So he's excited for that. Um, you know, we'll be excited that we've got a lot of things next week for Mother's Day, so I hope you will join us. It's going to be a special uh, and fun day, and that you stay by afterwards for some food. But as we are getting ready to look at what we believe and why and the essentials of our faith, I thought, because I don't like asking you to do something that I'm not willing to do, I thought I would kick us off today with the question of why I'm still an Adventist. Now, for those of you that don't know, Crosswalk Portland is a part of the Oregon Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, which is a part of the North Pacific Union of Seventh-day Adventists, which is a part of the North American Division of Seventh-day Adventists, which is a part of the world of Seventh-day Adventist Church, which includes 22 million members in over 230 countries with nearly 10,000 schools and 230 hospitals. It's part of our different branches of what we feel called to as a church and as a ministry. Now, I recognize that not everyone in this room comes from an Adventist background or considers themselves a part of the Adventist church, and that is more than okay. At Crosswalk, one of our core values is belonging. Whatever your background is, whatever you come in here from, we want to receive you with open arms. We're so excited to have you here. Um, So our arms and hearts seek to be open to all, but our conversation today, I hope, We'll encourage all of us to consider a little bit more, at least start that conversation for ourselves of what we believe and, ro- and why. And for some of you, it's weird that we even have to say, oh, by the way, we're a part of the Seventh-day Adventist church. And to be fair, we do not have it on our sign out on the road, partly just because it's, it's long, Crosswalk Church, Seventh-day Adventist, anyway. Um, but I've had some questions from people, so I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. Why don't we have it on our sign? We don't have any pamphlets in our lobby. Amen. Uh, and uh, we look different than most of the Adventist churches that I went to growing up. In fact, when we were coming to plant this church, one of the most common questions I got from people was, well, are you guys Adventist? You know, and, and some of those came from people that were concerned about me. Uh, former teachers and mentors in my life that were like, oh, Patty has left the church. Um, yeah, that's what I said. Um, but uh, I was like, no, no, we, we check all the boxes. We're not ashamed of it. We're not hiding it. I'm an Adventist minister um, and that. Uh, but the follow-up question to this was always, well, interesting to me. So they'd ask if we were part of the Adventist church, but then the follow-up question was, well, well how Adventist are you? 
which opened the door for me to learn their story, to figure out where they're coming from, what spurred them to ask that particular question. And I can say in the three years almost that we've been doing this and all the different stories that I've heard, I have learned and recognized that the people that we are most situated to reach out to at least initially are people that don't need us to push our Adventism on them. They are people that have walked away or unplugged from Adventism or faith traditions altogether, and they've done that for a reason. But they're still looking for community, and they're still looking for connections. So because of this, we don't push Adventism first, even though it is our framework of who we are. It's a critical part of our identity. But at Crosswalk, we will always start and end with Jesus. His example, his teachings, and his command for us to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. His command for us to love each other as he loves us, because it is by that that all people will know that we are his disciples. So whatever denomination or faith tradition that you come from or a part of, or even if you're just exploring and you don't have any of those beliefs, it's important to note that we will always be about Jesus. First, foremost, always. But today I want to share a bit of my spiritual journey with you, my faith convictions, and why after all that I've been through and that I've witnessed and that I've listened to, why I continue to choose to be a part of the movement of the Seventh-day Adventist faith, for it is a choice I don't take lightly. And it is a choice that has not always been easy. Over the course of my ministry, I have been called some pretty awful things, both directly to my face and indirectly through, oh, say, comment threads, which are ever so healthy, uh, and other notorious websites uh, and, and things. Um, I have been called, here's a few, a heretic, a demon, and a Catholic priest disguising himself as an Adventist chaplain. Nothing wrong with Catholic priests, mind you, but the tone of the person that said it uh, spoke to me that what they really meant to say is that I deserve to be burning in hell. Mind you, I don't believe in a burning hell, but that's besides the point. Um, uh, and on more than one occasion, including in a video that was sent to over 100 leaders in the Adventist church, I was uh, accused of doing and preaching things that were assuredly sending our youth to hell in a handbasket. That's not all. As part of a ministry I've helped lead that seeks to elevate Jesus in all we do, I have indirectly been referred to, and I quote, as the enemy's camp, as a termite, I'm not really sure what that one meant, we're eating away at the foundations of the church, not really sure, uh, uh, as the counter-offensive to the gospel, as a false prophet, uh, as the Omega Rebellion, which sounds like a sci-fi movie, but you have to dig in, to learn more about that one, as a spiritualist, I don't think I'm all that bad, an unsanctified minister, a mystic, and a homosexual. Don't ask me what that has to do with anything, but that was one of the ones we were called. My friends and I, all ministers of the Adventist Church, have also been investigated. You should know who's preaching to you. We were investigated for five years by the theological branch of the Adventist Church called the Biblical Research Institute. We were investigated to see if we were Adventist enough. Now, I don't know what constitutes as being Adventist enough. It's not like they take your blood and make sure there's enough levels of fried chicken haystacks 
but after five years, they decided to leave us alone. Of course, I have also heard countless stories from others about the hurt and pain that this tradition has caused them. But I've heard that from other faith traditions as well. Some of you here today are carrying deep scars of being judged, or you've watched a loved one walk away from God because of the treatment they've received in church or by Christians. Or you've been treated as less than. The very fact that you're sitting here today blows me away, and it is my constant prayer that, that we as a community can help you experience something better, that we can help you see a clearer picture of Jesus, and that you even can receive healing here from your past hurts. But with all those stories, mine and yours, it seems the question that others have asked me at times is quite fitting. Why am I still an Adventist? Why do I belong to an organization that at times has treated my friends and I like the enemy? All good questions that I do have answers for. Now, some of you know my story. I've shared bits and pieces along the way, but I will do a bit of a refresher course for context. I was born at a very young age. I'll always let that one sit for a second. To a family that came from two very different backgrounds. My mom was fourth-generation Adventist and grew up going to Adventist schools, attending Adventist churches. Adventism was a part of her life. My dad, on the other hand, was from the hills of Appalachia. His family and heritage included coal miners who had a history of violence that were infamously etched in American history via the Hatfield and McCoy feud that lasted from 1863 to 1891 and that claimed over 24 lives, including women and children. The leader of the McCoy clan was my great-great-great-grandfather. Um, and in fact, I remember uh, when I was chaplain at Walla Walla University and the History Channel came out with the movie about Hatfields and McCoys, I was so excited. I told my students, they're making a, a movie about my family and Kevin Costner's in it. And they're all like, who? I had to say, Superman's dad? Oh, oh. some of you don't even get that reference. Okay. Um, but when my grandfather McCoy came along, he clearly wanted to change the direction his family had been heading. I never met my grandfather McCoy because he died when my dad was 15 from comp complications of a cave-in while he was coal mining. But I have a picture of him that means a lot to me. It's a picture of him reading his Bible. From listening to stories, it seems that my grandmother and he helped turn the tide of a family of violence into a family of God-fearing Christians. The faith tradition they belonged to was Southern Baptist, and though at times that meant different things, from my perspective as a kid, a Southern Baptist was someone who watched a televangelist on Sunday. Uh, they were good people who taught me good values and who influenced much of my younger years. In fact, it was my grandmother and my aunt who taught me the first prayer I remember, and it was the one from the 18th century, a children's prayer that said, now I lay me down to sleep. And I know this one. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now, I don't know what sadistic person of the faith penned this prayer, but I blame this prayer for the reason that I was addicted to late night television and Saturday Night Live. Because if you're going to die before you wake, I ain't going to bed. That's what that meant. But I didn't know any better. Though my dad became an Adventist after he and my mom met, by the time I came into the picture, he had stopped going to church altogether. There were too many hypocrites in the church, and something had happened to him 
that made him angry, which he would spend much of his life being after that. There were, um, when I did go to church, which wasn't very often, I'd go with my mom, and we always went to an Adventist church. I remember getting dressed up and having to go and sit quietly while the people up front did their thing. I was baptized at 10 years old with my two older brothers, and I absolutely knew I loved Jesus. I absolutely knew I wanted to give him my life, but I really didn't know anything about Adventism, even after baptismal classes. As for what I learned when I went to church, I only remember bits and pieces. I think my faith was much more like a crocheted blanket. I had fabrics of faith, but there were a whole lot of holes in it and things that didn't make sense. I remember coming home once from church crying because something I heard at church made me believe or think that my grandmother wouldn't be in heaven because she wasn't an Adventist. I can remember being afraid of how hard it was going to be to survive the end times that the preacher kept talking about. And, and I was worried that I wouldn't make it. I remember the words from the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That part I liked. But the second verse says, Jesus loves me when I'm bad, even though it makes him very sad. I'd never thought about Jesus being sad before, but somehow I was convinced by what the preachers were saying that I must be making him sad more than I was making him happy. My mom and dad divorced when I was eight years old, and shortly after the divorce, my mom decided to move to the Pacific Northwest to be close to her side of the family. And after we moved, when the new school year started, my mom enrolled my brothers and I into the Adventist schools instead of the public schools, which we grew up going to. And we started attending church weekly. It was then that I began to learn more about Adventism and Adventist culture, and for a long time, I felt like an outsider. In the classroom during the week, I was a pretty smart kid, but in the Sabbath school room on Saturday morning, I didn't know anything. I always hated trivia time, and I thought all the names were made up. I mean, Methuselah, Abednego, Jehoshaphat, who names their kids that stuff? But slowly, I learned more about the Bible, more about Adventism, and I even decided to get involved at church and at school. And maybe I was compensating for feeling like an outsider. Whatever the case, I actually, I actually had a good time. I had good memories. I made good friends, and I learned a lot about God. When it came time to go to college, I chose to go to the Adventist University, Walla Walla, um, and I chose to focus on the two things that I really enjoyed, Jesus and how we communicate with one another. My college professors taught me things about God that I'd never heard before, or at least I never heard it at a time I was ready to receive it before. I served the church however I could, and even though my road to full-time ministry was not easy, not traditional by any stretch, I have been blessed to serve as a minister of the gospel in the Adventist church for 24 years. In that time, I have witnessed lives changed, celebrated baptisms and weddings, and I believe I have helped play a part in helping parts of the church refocus on Jesus. So there has been joy and pain, celebration and sorrow, and some may and have asked, do I stay because I'm too afraid to leave the comforts of a system I've been a part of for so long? Well, the short answer to that is no. At least I don't think so. I choose to stay a part of this church even with its faults and struggles, even with the things I strongly disagree with. Why? There is much I could share, and I'd certainly be more than happy to share and sit down with you and have a longer conversation with anyone who wanted, but I want to share today with you the top three. And I already know that for some, that's hard, because for some reason in the Seventh-day Adventist tradition, uh, if we're not talking about everything, if I don't say everything, I'm saying nothing. 
right? Um, and, and so I want you to know, today we're going to focus on three things. Those three things have implications and layers, but just three. So hold on. First, I remain because I believe wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly in the original impulse that started the Adventist church, a deep desire to see Jesus. Some know the history well, others don't have any idea, but the Adventist movement was born in the 1800s out of a deep conviction that Jesus was returning to the earth soon. This occurred during what was called the Second Great Awakening, a time when the Holy Spirit was revealing new teachings and awakening a new hunger and thirst for God. According to historians, two-thirds of people living in the United States at this time were not only Christians, but two-thirds of them actually believed that Jesus was coming soon. This wasn't a small band of people somewhere. This was the majority of people that lived in the United States at that time. William Miller, a former sea captain turned Bible student, and others were connecting dots between the books of Daniel and Revelation and prophecy, and they determined that Jesus would return on October 22, 1844. People were so excited to see Jesus, they sold off property and material goods all to get ready to see him. They were so excited. They prayed and they waited. But October 22, 1844 came and went. And Jesus did not return in the clouds. Yes, they had made the wrong conclusion from what they studied. Yes, they apparently avoided several passages in Scripture that actually talk against setting a date. <laughs> I don't know how they missed that one. Um, but they were desperate to see Jesus, so desperate, in fact, that what, when Jesus didn't return, they were devastated. Here are a few quotes written from just days after October 22. An early believer in William Miller's teaching, Henry Emmons, wrote this, I waited all Tuesday, October 22, and dear Jesus did not come. I waited all the forenoon of Wednesday and was well in body as I ever was. But after 12 o'clock, I began to feel faint. And before dark, I needed someone to help me up to my chamber. As my natural strength was leaving me very fast and I lay prostrate for two days without any pain, sick with disappointment. Sick with disappointment that Jesus hadn't come. On October 24, Hiram Edson wrote, Our fondest hopes and expectations were blasted and such a spirit of weeping came over us as I never experienced before. It seemed that the loss of all earthly friends could have been no comparison. We wept and wept till the day on. Upon hearing another preacher lament about October 22, future church founder James White wrote, when he stated that the brethren should prepare for another cold winter, my feelings were almost uncontrollable. I left the place of meeting and I wept like a child. I want to hunger for Jesus like this. And it is this impulse that gave birth to the Seventh-day Adventist movement. Now, I know one could easily say, well, that was 179 years ago. I mean, can we still, should we still be preaching that Jesus was coming soon? We put it in our name, Adventists. Can we still preach it? My answer to that is, yeah. Because Jesus comes in all of our lifetimes, whether literally in the clouds or on our way home and we get hit by that crazy Portland driver. If that actually happens to anybody today, I'm going to feel so bad. But Jesus comes in all of our lifetimes, and I want to live in wild anticipation of the great restoration, restoration and resurrection of Jesus. I love these words penned by John Eldridge. 
What if you work each morning, you woke each morning actually, and your heart leapt with hope, knowing that the renewal of all things was just around the corner, might even come today. You would be one happy person. If you knew in every fiber of your being that nothing is lost, that everything will be restored to you, and then some, you would be armored against discouragement and despair. If your heart's imagination were filled with rich expectations of all the goodness coming to you, your confidence would be contagious. You would be an unstoppable revolutionary. I want to be an unstoppable revolutionary for Jesus in the kingdom of God. Today is Coronation Day. Anybody realize that? Coronation Day. I don't know if any of you woke up at five in the morning to watch it, but you shouldn't. No. But we have, we, we, we coronated our king a long time ago. King Jesus, come on, people. Anyway, I want to be with Jesus so badly that I wake up every day and I think maybe today I get to see Jesus. At its core, that's how Adventism began its journey. The second big reason I'm still an Adventist actually covers a whole lot of ground that we don't have time to cover all of today, but it creates a lens in which to look through, not only for our faith development, but also for an approach to life. That is the concept Adventists refer to as present truth. Uriah Smith, an important leader in the beginning of the Advent movement, who actually had a pig leg. I put that one in there for the kids. I thought they'd like to know. He had a pig leg. He wrote in 1857, we have been enabled to rejoice in truths that are in advance of what we then perceived, referring to the disappointment of 1844. But we do not imagine that we have it all by any means. We trust to progress still, our path growing continually brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. Therefore, let us maintain an inquiring frame of mind, seeking for more light, more truth. Fast forward. 46 years, and apparently they still didn't have it all figured out. Another founder and influencer for the Adventist movement was Ellen White, who wrote in 1903, our exploration of truth is yet incomplete. We have gathered up only a few rays of light. Now, present truth is a concept that basically means we will always have more to learn, more truths, truths shared with us today that we weren't ready to hear yesterday. It's a concept that should keep us humble. It should keep us always searching for Jesus, always studying the scriptures, always asking the Holy Spirit to continue to lead us and guide us and reveal to us what we need to know when we need to know it. This concept doesn't originate from the Adventist faith, however. Jesus practiced this with his disciples. At the end of his time on earth, after Jesus had taught them so much for three and a half years, he said, there is so much more I want to tell you but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Jesus shared with them what they needed to hear when they were ready to receive it. Now, some of you may say, yeah, but the church organization that I see doesn't practice that anymore. They act as if it's all set in stone and they have it all figured out. They have all the answers, all the amazing facts you could ever want. To that, I'd say, yeah, I think some do think they've got it all figured out. Some turn to the Holy Spirit and say, thanks for leading us to this point. We'll take it from here. But that doesn't mean we can't stand for present truth and continually and humbly seek what the Spirit has to teach us for such a time as this. Remember, it's up to us to be the church we want to see in this world, the church we feel Jesus calling us to. This search for present truth also helped paint some beautiful pictures of God through the Adventist message that other faith traditions were missing, in my opinion. 
things like a more loving view of and consistent view of who God is as it relates to the doctrine of hell or Sabbath or a more holistic approach to life. But to believe in present truth recognizes that we still have much to learn. It means we can still be trailblazers for the faith. But to do this, it means we must be humble and open to receive new teachings as the Lord reveals it to us. And these teachings will always be consistent with who he is, with the God revealed to us in the scriptures and seen most clearly through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I have often said there's a book that we have that explains the 28 fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and it's called What Adventists Believe. And I've always thought if we were true to present truth, we would have a little tagline on there that says, What Adventists Believe for Now. Because present, present truth means it could change and evolve as time goes on. And remember, we must remember that it was Jesus who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He is our ultimate present truth. So in addition to being humble, we must help each other keep the main thing the main thing. And Jesus is always the main thing. The devil will try to distract us because the devil doesn't care what we're focused on as long as it's not Jesus. The Adventist movement, as most movements have, has struggled to keep Jesus central time and time again. A quick example of that comes from two different paintings. Some of you have seen this. It's from Adventist history, both commissioned by founder James White. The first painting from 1873 shows all the things that they were learning in their course of present truth, what the Spirit was revealing to them. It shows all those things. And as my friend Sam Lenore, again, who's going to be here next week, blah, 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 likes to say is that finding Jesus in this picture is a little bit like finding where's Waldo. He's there, right? But everything seems to have an equal level of importance because they were focusing on everything. But then, in 1883, a revised version was commissioned, one that came because of a conviction of what the faith and salvation is truly about, and it's this. In this picture, obviously, there are still other things there, but Jesus looms central, larger than anything else. In pursuit of present truth, we, want, we wanted to give you a chance, you here today, to help us keep our eyes on Jesus and speak to the things you're wrestling with or the questions that you have today in your faith journey. So we're going to put up a slide that has a QR code, and it gives you a chance to ask anything. And I mean anything. And what we'll do is that we will take your suggestions, we'll take the things that you submit, and we will collect those so that on future campus days, we are preaching to things that you want us to preach to. Maybe it's something that you haven't heard a church preach about before. Maybe it's just something you're wrestling with. Maybe it's, maybe it's something you know a friend is wrestling with, and you want to have a way to answer them and talk with them about that. We don't have all the answers. We're in the journey of present truth, but we're willing to have the conversation. Whatever the topic, doesn't matter. Ask anything, right? So that's up there. Everybody got it that wants to get it? Shoot the QR code. We'll put it out on the newsletter. We'll put it out on, on our link tree and social media and those kinds of things too. But we'd love to hear from you, and we'll put this up for a couple of weeks. And though there is more I could share, the last point I'll make with you is that I remain an Adventist because it is my family. And friends, we all know that no family is perfect. We've all got the weird uncle or the crazy aunt, the people that we see once a year at the holidays or at the church conference constituency meeting, 
We've all been there. I took some of our members to their first constituency meeting this year. Tons of fun. You get to see all the different family members there. And look, I get it. Um, you can look at another family and think that family has it all together. That family is perfect. That family doesn't have the issues and the baggage that my family has. And you can go join that family, and it'll seem perfect for a while. But the longer you're a part of it, you realize, oh, they have their issues too. But they're still family that you choose. Now, I can sit around the dining room table at Christmas with all my different relatives, and I guarantee you that none of us agree on everything. I mean, some of my family around that table don't even like Chipotle, for pity's sakes. I still love them. Can't even say Chipotle. Chipotles. That's what my mom says. <laughs> I said, try it. Chipotle. Chipotles. But they are my family, and we're in this together. The Adventist family has blessed me with much that I don't want to take for granted. I have lifelong friends because of this family. I have an incredible education that has served me well because of this family. I have pictures of God that I have been given that I cherish because of this family. And I have hope that I will see Jesus soon because of this family. Yes, I am still an Adventist, but I recognize that not everyone will take this journey. I also recognize that the damage caused for some is too much to overcome. But above my Adventist identity, first and foremost, I am a follower of Jesus. That is who I am. And I believe in a God big enough to reach us wherever we are. Whether we are Adventists or atheists, Hindus, Buddhists, or Muslims, Russians, Ukrainians, gay, straight, or non-binary, Republican, Democrat, or Independents, I believe in a God who is big enough for all of us. And that God is trying to save all of us if we'll let him. Our job is not to get distracted, but to keep our eyes always on Jesus, the Jesus who is coming soon, to be open and humble enough to let the Spirit teach us new things and to open our arms wide to love well on all of God's children because we are his family and he wants us to come home. I challenge you today, church, to consider what you believe, why you believe it, and what difference it makes in your life because in the coming weeks, we're going to wrestle with these things. And as we do, I pray we'd always keep the main thing, the main thing. So help us, Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us and giving us chance after chance after chance to continue to learn, to continue to refocus our lives on the things that matter most. On this journey, Father, I know there are those of us in this room that have wounds and scars from our past. Heal us from those, Jesus. You are the ultimate healer, and you can do that in our lives. Help us to let go of hurts and pains that have been keeping us back from seeing a more clear picture of you. And Father, as we go on this faith exploration and journey, help us to cling to the essential things. At times, asking questions is scary. It brings some chaos into our lives. It seems to unsettle us. But all of that is to ground us even deeper in the truth and the reality of who you are. We love you so much. We can't wait to see you face to face. Until then, help us to receive your Holy Spirit. Follow wherever you lead us. 
and love well to everyone you call us to love. In your precious and holy name, I pray these things. Amen. Would you please stand back up with us as we worship?